Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Glad to have you all with us as we get, begin another week on Political Rewind. This week, of course, uh, we'll be spending a lot of time talking about the Republican National Convention. Just as last week, uh, we devoted much of our show each day to talking about the Democrats. We have a terrific panel lined up uh, to begin the conversation. Uh, before we start with the panel, though, um, I want to make just a couple of comments. And, um, and, and they're based on the fact that I spent a lot of time this weekend catching up on emails that you've been writing to me for some time now. I went back and looked at uh, social media posts on our Facebook Live page, on Twitter. And, and I want to comment on the kinds of things that you say to me. So, for instance, a handful of listeners in the past few days have said that by spending so much time talking about the Democratic Convention last week, we exposed our bias toward Democrats. Uh, that, despite the fact that I said over and over on the air we'd be covering the Republican convention this week, and even though we had Republicans on our panels last week. So as this week begins, I know that some of you are bound to be unhappy with the time we'll give to the Republican convention. I heard a liberal TV commentator say the other day that while he's going to grit his teeth he plans to pay close attention to the Republicans this week because it'll give him a clear indication of the messaging that he and others on his side will face and have to fight in the final weeks before the election. And maybe whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, that's the best way to look at our coverage of the conventions. By now, most of you know that I don't typically like to spend a lot of time talking about Donald Trump's White House or national politics in general, because you get so much of that on cable news channels. I've always preferred talking about what's happening in our state and our region. But the fact is, in the weeks ahead, we're going to have to give greater emphasis to the presidential race because it'll loom over and have an influence on the crucial races here in Georgia. To do that fairly... We have to give both Republicans and Democrats space to talk about the issues and developments in the presidential race. I hope to keep the conversations smart and respectful, which is something we've always believed in on this show. We want the conversations to be honest. We want to reject talking points and false claims. And the Political Rewind team and I plan to work on making sure that's what happens. So if you don't mind my sounding just a little bit grandiose, we cannot split this baby in two. Political Rewind needs to be a forum for both sides. Democracy and, for that matter, journalism rely on responsible debate, on offering competing visions of what our country, our state, and our community should be. And there are really more than two sides to that conversation. So if you listen to our convention shows and tune us to us in the weeks ahead as the election approaches, I know you're going to hear points of view that drive you up the wall. So by all means, shout at the radio, shout at me, and you're always welcome, as so many of you do, to write your observations to me at B-N-I-G-U-T at gpb.org. But I hope you have faith that we are doing our best to present to you smart, respectful conversation about Georgia and American politics today. All right. 
enough said. Enough of my commenting. Let's get right to our panel. It's Monday. Jim Galloway, my partner on the show every Monday and Friday. Jim, thanks for being here today. No, it's it's great to be here. Uh, looking forward to seeing what Donald Trump has in store for us in, for over the next four days. It, it's you know we knew very clearly uh, what the Democrats were planning to do, Jim, because they laid out their convention in great detail beforehand. Uh, we have some details now about the Republicans, but they're keeping a lot under wraps. So you're right, Jim. We probably are in for some interesting surprises this week. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, 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 Look, I mean, when you when Vernon Jones is the is the most preeminent uh, uh, Georgian on on a speaking list at uh, at a national convention, that tells you something. I don't know what it is exactly, but it tells you something. That's right. Uh, we have two old and very good friends who happen to be on opposite sides of the aisle with us uh, today. One of them is former Seventh District. Democratic Congressman uh, Buddy Darden, who is back with us. The other is Eric Tannenblatt, who has been a longtime confidant to Republican presidential candidates going back to George H.W. Bush. Uh, he worked very closely with Mitt Romney in 2012. Uh, he worked with George W. Bush. And early in that 2016 campaign, of course, uh, was associated with um, Jeb Bush and I always like to mention that uh, it, during Sonny Perdue's first term, Eric, you were uh, uh, Governor Perdue's chief of staff. Glad to have you here, Eric. You doing all right? I am doing well. Glad to be here. This is my seventh Republican convention uh, over the last 30 years, and this is going to be an interesting way to uh, watch it. Very different. Buddy, buddy, you've probably been to more conventions than any of us. Bill, I've uh, attended seven different ones over the years, either as a delegate or a guest, but I'm just glad to be talking to you this morning live from downtown Marietta. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad to have you here. We're also joined today by Julianne Thompson. Julianne, Thomas is a long Julianne Thompson is a longtime Republican strategist. Uh, she's been deeply involved with state the state Republican Party over the years. And uh, Julianne, you're... Uh, here in Georgia at your home, while your husband, Jason, who is a national committeeman, is in Charlotte, one of the handful of uh, delegates to the convention who will actually be involved in the roll call of the states, which is going to start uh, uh, in a little while th this morning. How are you doing, Julianne? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. And thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. It's uh kind of bittersweet. I mean, this this would have been my third convention to attend in person. Um, I was an alternate delegate this time, uh, but I'm glad to be here with you, and I'm glad to have the sign from the 2012 Republican National Convention in back of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one that breaks Eric Tannenblatt, who was working so closely with Mitt Romney. It breaks his heart to think about that standard. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, all right. Yeah. Uh, so I would, uh, Jim Galloway, uh, just a little while ago, the Washington Post uh, put up a story which uh, gave us some interesting clues. You know, uh, President Trump has been uh, accused in recent months of when asked what his agenda for a second term would be, not having a particularly specific answer. And those are interviews he's primarily done with Fox News. So 
there's great question as to what the agenda will be that Republicans put forth today. So let me read to you just a little bit of the story the Post just put up. The agenda is broken into 10 categories, jobs, eradicate COVID-19, end U.S. reliance on China, health care, education, drain the swamp, defend the police, end illegal immigration, innovate for the future, and America first foreign policy. And on health care, Trump says he would cut prescription drug prices, lower insurance pre- premiums, and cover all pre-existing conditions, although there are no specifics uh, to uh, that uh, plan. So uh, that's just a very beginning of what the uh, Republicans w- may be putting out as the convention proceeds, Jim. Yeah, we're going to have to see. I mean, uh, look, the, 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 the Democratic message last week was pretty simple. Uh, uh, the, the, the pandemic and character. And, and, and what's interesting here is, is that uh, uh, the Republicans appear to be dwelling, uh, at least trying to dwell a whole lot on policy, uh, despite, the, despite some, some pretty dark comments and, and characterizations that the president made in counter-programming last week. Uh, I'm, looking at, I'm also looking at the speakers list. You know, you've got Tim Scott here. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, the governor of, of South Dakota and, and Nikki Haley, uh, uh, an Indian American who's kind of uh, being offered up as, as, as a contrast to Kamala Harris. You know, what I'm not seeing, and, and it could, they could appear, but what I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing a whole lot of uh, uh, people who are going to be on the November ballot uh, uh, with opposition. Uh, uh, Tim, as, as I said, Tim Scott's there. Lindsey Graham hasn't shown up yet. I, uh, uh, neither of Georgia's uh, governors, or I mean, uh, senators, Kelly Loeffler or David Perdue, there. Uh, and we'll have to wait and see if they if 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 they're going to jump in. Uh, a lot of these people have been have, have been doing independent videos and sending them in. And so I think the the, the campaign can hunt hunt uh, hunt for the the right voice for the right moment. So we'll have to see. I, th- I think that's an important point. Uh, Julianne, to the best of our knowledge, based on the speaker list that's been published, the only Republican incumbent who's in what people think could be a hotly contested race who is on the agenda right now is Jody Ernst. And, uh, and as uh, Jim points out, we're not seeing, uh, Julianne, a lot of other uh, Republicans who are in hotly contested races on the speaker schedule, nor, by the way, Julianne, and I think you know this, are we seeing a lot of of the the old guard leaders of the Republican Party engaged, Julianne. I think that that's true, and I I think uh, with regard to people in contested races, I think if you look at the speakers list, you don't see a lot of elected officials in general. Um, they've tried to concentrate more on uh, speakers that are going to be coming in from. Uh, different parts of the country to I know that there are going to be speakers that have have left Venezuela that are going to be talking about becoming an American and the importance of American exceptionalism and uh, seeking freedom. And I think that they're trying to focus on different types of speakers rather than the typical elected officials that we usually see. Eric? Yeah, the only thing that I would add is I I don't think that the the list of speakers that were released uh, necessarily uh, includes all of the speakers. And I think that there's some messaging uh, involved in the list that they um, uh, publicly released. So I think you're going to see 
uh, a bunch of other people. And I think each day you'll start seeing them roll out uh, who some of the other speakers uh, will be. But, but you know, buddy, the, what's interesting, I think, personally, about the 2020 Republican National Convention is that despite the fact that uh, Trump is now the incumbent president, it feels, at least today, before we see a broader uh, speaker's list, that it's not that dissimilar from 2016 when his convention, when he was still an incredibly controversial figure uh, in the party. There were a great many uh, leaders of the party who did not want to speak at that convention. Ted Cruz, of course, made a very public display of challenging, uh, trying to challenge the nomination of President Trump. So he controls the party now, buddy. But there's a feel that's not that dissimilar, at least in terms of what we've seen so far, uh, in terms of Republican leaders rallying around him, buddy. That's a good point. But at the same time, we Democrats, we had our show last week, and then this is their show. And however that Trump sees to fit to do this is entirely, you know, in his in his control. And may also be that the the Republican convention is still in the planning stages because it will be reacting to what happened last week. We're in such unusual times now, and I would think that, and I would defer to Eric and Julianne here, but I would think that they're somewhat in a position of making up as they go along, depending on the situation. You know, if I could, if I could just add to that, um, Bill, you know, President Trump is a was a TV celebrity before he, uh, you know, was elected president. So he understands really uh, well. He he understands uh, how you create suspense and drama, and how you know one night will build on the next. So you want to come back for the next episode. And so I think that uh, there's going to be a lot of um, suspense as it relates to this convention. He started to. Uh, you know, sort of drop hints of that throughout the week. And I was going to say the same exact thing. Trump is a master showman, and he knows how to definitely uh, definitely put on a different type of convention. There is nothing uh, that's going to be, for lack of a better term, conventional about this convention. Um, it's going to be different. It's going to be different, not only because of COVID-19 and all of the problems that that has caused and the challenges that both parties were facing um, as a result of that, but it's going to be different with regard to speakers and how those speakers are brought forward. And, and I would say that some of it might even be fluid and being planned right now. So. Yeah, uh, Bill, the one thing I think is missing here uh, so far, and I, and I don't expect it to change through the week, is just the matter of legacy. Uh, at the Democratic Convention, you had every, every, every Democratic president, including uh, Jimmy Carter, represented, uh, whether uh, audio, uh, as in Carter's case, or, or video appearances, as is with, with Clinton, uh, and and uh, and Obama, uh, even even last year's nominee Hillary Clinton had a had a had a had a spot. But you're not you're not you're not going to see Mitt Romney here. You're not going to see George W. Bush, uh, uh, and 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 I think that's uh, I think that's telling uh, that that tells you something about the way that Trump has actually remade this Republican Party in in four short years. Plus, I also think that he wants to continue the narrative that he's the outsider and he's 
continuing this next four years to, quote, drain the swamp. And, you know, that was part of uh, the agenda that, you know, you cited earlier, uh, Bill, that he rolled out, which I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think we should gloss over that, not that we did. But one of the biggest criticisms from last week's Democratic convention is that it was light on policy. And I think that the fact that uh, the Trump campaign has rolled out what a second term of the Trump administration would be and, and why it didn't drill down into all of the specifics under all of these policies, those broad categories that you mentioned had about five or six, sometimes even more policy proposals under that. So I, I think to, to Jim's point, you know, Trump is still on a mission to change Washington, and that does have appeal uh, to some frustrated uh, independents and, and um, even some Democrats. Well, let me say respectfully that um, I was worried about our convention last week because you never know what's going to happen under these circumstances. And Luckily for the Democrats, nothing bad happened. And at the same time, the Republicans have, in all due respect, the same problem. They've got to be sure that nothing bad or negative happens. Their job, though, is going to be, in my opinion, to try to make it interesting and hold people's interest because in all candor, and again, I say this respectfully, uh, we've been watching this movie now for about four years. And what are we going to see different that we haven't seen before? And I think that's a real challenge. And I think that the president's entire pitch will be, again, to the base, to bring the base out, to excite the base, because, as you well know, uh, that is where his strength lies, and that's what he's got to have in overwhelming numbers. Uh, Julianne, uh, Buddy's point may be well taken, but he did not respond to what Eric suggested, which is in fact true, that the, um, that the Democrats did not do a lot with policy last week. They made it about character, Joe Biden's character versus Donald Trump's character. Julianne? Yes, that's true. They made it about character. They made it about COVID. They made it about ethics. And this week, um, I think that the, that the Republicans are going to be making this about we don't want to go down the path of socialism. We don't want to go down the path of lawlessness. And they're going to focus on the Trump economy. And I think that, that the Trump economy is a positive thing. Um, but I think that the challenge for them is going to be to make sure that they keep things positive if they want to get those swing voters who don't necessarily want to hear the same rhetoric that the base of the Republican Party wants to hear. Um, so I think that that's the challenge. They need to be very positive. They need to keep upbeat. And I was going to add also um, all that the president has put all of his family members on as speakers as well. Not only is the first lady speaking, but all of his children are speaking and their spouses as well. So that is unprecedented in any Republican convention of the past as well. So so we're going to definitely be seeing something brand new that that we haven't seen before. Yeah, yeah, and the and the, the real question I think is whether they can they can keep the president on script. Uh, I I think <laughs> is be, because uh, you you can have all the plans in the world, you can have all the policy points you 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 want in the world, but unless the guy who wants to make himself the centerpiece on each and every night. Uh, if, if unless you can keep him on message, 
then what you're going to get is what we had last week, which was some fairly dark rhetoric uh, about uh, uh, about uh, what would happen if, if Joe Biden suddenly became president. So, buddy, I'm going to give you the first crack at this. I'm serving you up a big, fat softball. Um, there, there, Eric and Julianne would agree that Trump is a masterful showman. Uh, by the way, fact check, the first season of The Apprentice was an enormous rating success, but from the second season on, the numbers plummeted dramatically, and when NBC did uh, research on it, it was because there was too much Donald Trump increasingly on the show, and that's just my question, buddy. If Donald Trump is going to be the star of each night of this convention, it strikes me two things could happen. Number one, it, it robs the convention and viewers of the drama Eric was talking about of seeing the, the nominee make that Thursday night grand address. But more important, at a certain point, the viewers just sort of get tired of seeing, in this case, Donald Trump in the same way they might have if it was Joe Biden every night last week. Buddy? Be quite candid with you uh, at this point, Bill. Uh, our side has already uh, experienced Trump fatigue, and I think you'll see uh, no uh, Democrats <laughs> watching except out of curiosity for junkies like me. And uh, the question is, Julianne pointed out quite well, is how do you get independents, how do you get people who may be wavering one way or another out there? And it's going to be, in my opinion, Trump, 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 four nights in, in a row, and that, that uh, begins to get uh, somewhat tiresome, just like it did when he was doing a press conference every night on COVID. And finally, they convinced him to, that he was doing more harm than good. So I think some wiser, wiser people will prevail, and, and hopefully uh, he won't uh, overdo it here. But I'm, I know there must be, with people like Eric, um, like Eric Tannenblatt advising Trump, Surely he's going to be listening to. <laughs> Sorry, Julianne. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I, I think that it's very true that when you look at conventions historically, that is the time when both parties sort of make that shift from messaging to the base to messaging to the entire country. That is the time that you actually go into general election mode. And I think that the Democrats last week, um, as, as I stated before, and, and you all stated, it was, it was a little more somber than usual. It, it was not upbeat, it was not positive. And I think that the Republicans are facing the same challenge. I think it's got to, to be substantive, it's got to be positive, it's got to be something that can motivate those swing voters and especially suburban women. I mean, we hear time and time again, it's going to be women that decide the election, especially suburban women. And what are we talking about that is going to be important to them? Um, you know, I, I've said on this show many times, if you want to hear what people are thinking, you don't necessarily listen to politicians. You don't necessarily listen to pundits. You listen to people sitting on the bleachers. And what I'm hearing from John Q. Citizen nowadays, what I'm hearing from parents sitting on the virtual bleachers these days is that they're not getting substance from either side. And they want more substance. They want to talk 
about the issues and how those issues are going to be solved in the current COVID crisis that we are facing. And I, and I actually Eric, think let me give you the last word before the break. Yeah, I, I actually think you're going to see some of that this week. I, I don't have any inside information, but I think you're going to, if you look at the speakers that they have released, uh, there are a number of women, and I think that that was uh, done on purpose. I think there's a lot of constituencies that they're trying to reach out to, some that uh, the Democrats would say they, there's no shot at reaching out to. But, you know, there's a number of uh, Hispanic uh, speakers, African-American speakers, including including Vernon. And I think they're all going to tell uh, they're all going to give examples of how Donald Trump has been helpful to them and what he has done. And I think there's going to be a lot of storytelling, a lot of man on the street. And I think it's going to address some of the issues that Julianne's talking about. All right, let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way and come back with more on Political Rewind. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Uh, I'll reintroduce the panel in just a minute, and we'll go on with the topics for the show. Before I do, I want to, I know I'll run out of time at the end of the show to do this, but I'm really thrilled uh, to welcome our new senior producer to Political Rewind, Emilia Brock. Emilia Brock has been doing diligent work for uh, On Second Thought, which has just been a wonderful program on our air. Um, And uh, she has come over to uh, work with us as we move toward the election. And we, uh, Sam Burmis Dawes and I couldn't be happier than to have Amelia with us. So welcome, Amelia. And I know our listeners will uh, enjoy the work that you're going to do to help make this a better show than ever. Eric Tannenblatt is with us, Buddy Darden, Julianne Thompson, Jim Galloway. Uh, Join us for our conversation as we continue talking about the Republican National Convention. Jim, CBS News... Over the weekend, released a YouGov poll that has some really, really fascinating data in it. So let me just read a few of the fields for you and then invite everybody to pick what they think they'd like to talk about. All right. So the first big question, is America better off than four years ago? Among all voters, 65% say no, 35% say yes. Of course, there's a divide there. Republicans are very optimistic. They think it's much better off than it was. Um, The uh, condition of the national economy, all voters say, uh, 35% of voters say it's good. 61% say it's bad. Uh, Republicans say it's good. 67%, 30% say bad. It's a little bit closer margin on that question. Here's some interesting ones. How is the U.S. dealing with the coronavirus? All voters, 38% say it's going well. 62% say it's going badly. But Republicans, 73% of Republicans say it's going well. There is a question about U.S. deaths from coronavirus are higher than reported. 44% say they are higher than reported. 36% say there are fewer deaths than reported. And what's interesting about that is, once again, Republicans uh, believe there are far fewer deaths than are being reported. They're skeptical of the figures. But here's the key, Jim, that I'd really love you to pick up on and then talk about any of them. Mm -hmm. The number of U.S. deaths from coronavirus, YouGov asked their sample, has been acceptable. 
57% of Republicans, Jim, say the 175,000 people who have died is, quote, an acceptable number, uh, whereas 90% of Democrats say it's not. I, I have to admit I was a little stunned uh, by that last number, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. Jim? And, 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 and I'll be frank with you. That's the number that caused my wife yesterday to give me an elbow in the ribs and say, listen to this. Uh, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it, it's really it, – it's, it's very disturbing the way that we, we have become so polarized that everything, everything now uh, it, it breaks down uh, uh, red versus blue, R versus D uh, – uh, uh, whether it's whether it's whether it's what you think is acceptable in terms of of, of fatality rates, uh, or or college football now, or 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 whether to mask up or ma- ma- uh, or or not, uh, one thing I w- one thing I would I would uh, put up there for for conversation is is that yes you know maybe fifty seven percent of Republicans. Uh, uh, believe COVID, uh, the, the, the the number of deaths are, are an accept, acceptable trade-off for, for the economy. One thing we have to understand is, is that the Republican brand is shrinking. I mean, the, the Republicans are shrinking just in terms of demographics here. And 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 a number of, 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 of self-identifying GOP voters have left. And so the pool is become a, becoming a little bit smaller. And so, yeah, orthodoxy becomes the, uh, the, 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 the orthodoxy becomes much more important in a, in a, in a shrinking, in a, in a shrinking environment. So Eric, I, 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 I key in on that uh, particular question, but, but, and I'd love for you to talk about that for a moment, but then if there's other questions I read, you can jump on those too. I look, I know many, many Republicans. You're a Republican. Julianne Thompson's a Republican. I, you know, to be characterized among the 57% of Republicans who think it's okay that 170 plus thousand people have died from COVID-19 seems contrary to all of the Republicans I know who are decent people with, with compassion in their hearts. It's a little startling, Eric. Yeah, well, I think it goes without saying that uh, I don't think that's okay. And a lot of the Republicans that I uh, surround myself, that I'm around, uh, don't think that, that that's okay. I would point out that that poll uh, is registered voters, not likely voters. I'd probably give a little bit more weight to the recent Wall Street Journal poll that came out not too long ago, which, you know, one of the things that just startled me in that one is is the <laughs> fact that uh, you know, we talk about doom and gloom that Trump was nine points behind Biden, uh, but he's he was nine points behind Biden at the same time uh, four years ago. I mean, he was nine points behind Hillary Clinton uh, four years ago. And uh, the intensity is stronger uh, among Republicans. Uh, and that's why you're seeing such an appeal uh, to the base, because if the president wants to get reelected, He's got to fire up the base. And I would also say that this last, the last four years, uh, Trump has done a very effective job of identifying who is the base and and much better than the Democrats have. The Democrats, you know, are, are talking broadly uh, to the electorate. But I would say that the Republicans, uh, the Trump Republican campaign uh, knows who their voters are 
down to the voter a lot better than Joe Biden does with his base. Buddy, jump in, and then I want to give Julianne a chance. Well, Eric, once more, I think it proves the point that we've always said that Democrats fall in love, but Republicans fall in line. And Republicans do a much better job than Democrats of identifying their voters and creating a level of intensity. I remember in 1988, Bill, you and I can remember back then, when uh, we left the Atlanta convention, 17 points ahead, Michael Dukakis was 17 points ahead of uh, George H.W. Bush. And we saw what happens. So this thing is fluid, and this thing uh, is is far from over. And I really don't know where it's going. I do lament the fact, and by both sides, that instead of COVID-19 being a health issue, it has become a political issue from both sides. And I think we've got to get back on track and start looking at it as a health problem in which we're all involved and not just something that the Republicans are responsible for or the Democrats are responsible for. You know, Julianne, I think Buddy uh, makes a very good point in taking us back to that 1988 election when it looked like Michael Dukakis coming out of the convention here had a lock on the White House, as, as Buddy says, 17 points out front. And then Lee Atwater who was kind of the evil mastermind in those days of uh, doing negative uh, campaigning, uh, really started with his machine to take Michael Dukakis apart. Dukakis did not do a very good job defining himself. And Atwater, with the Willie Horton ads and other things, was able to completely undermine uh, Michael Dukakis's image with voters. Uh, and... Uh, and, of course, we know how that election turned out. So we should never underestimate the fact that Donald Trump has made it clear that he will go to whatever lengths he feels are necessary to do the same to Joe Biden. If, this, if as of the end of the Democratic Convention, the Democrats tried to make the point that this election was a referendum on Donald Trump, this week, Donald Trump and his supporters will try to make it a referendum on Joe Biden's radical politics, which are bad for America, right? Well, they absolutely will. I mean, it's going to be about we don't want to go down the path of socialism. We don't want to be, uh, you know, we don't want to accept lawlessness in our country. Um, and I think a challenge for the Democrats is going to be facing the fact that there is there is more enthusiasm among Republicans for Trump than there is among Democrats for Biden. Um, I think that the, the enthusiasm on the Democrat side is anti-Trump rather than so much pro-Biden. So I think it's going to be really, um, they're going to have to really focus on defining him as, as a candidate rather than just as the anti-Trump. And um, to go back to what we were originally talking about, I am also, like Eric, very disturbed to hear those numbers about anybody thinking that even one death is acceptable from COVID-19. I, I don't think any deaths are acceptable. Um, and, uh, and to go back to Jim's point, I think he is right that the traditional Republican electorate is shrinking, but it has also been sort of 
revamped and replaced during Trumpism to more of a blue-collar populism um, that is a voter base that Republicans have taken away uh, from the Democrats. And I think that Republicans have got to understand that we've got to reach out to a broad base of voters and connect them um, to the party based on their own personal stories. And that goes back to what I've said before. We not only have to have the right message, but we have to have the right messengers taking that message to their respective communities. Who are those right messengers, Julianne? Well, I think if you look, um, if you look at, at some of the coalitions that have been put together by the Republican Party, um, just for example, the Asian American Republican Coalition that has been put together um, by the RNC that has been extremely successful. It's been extremely successful here in Georgia. I know that over the, the past month, they've made themselves just that particular coalition of Georgia Asian American Republicans have made tens of thousands of phone calls and done so much get out the vote uh, work. But in addition to that, when different surrogates um, that represent those communities go out and speak to their respective communities to encourage them to get out the vote, they have their own personal stories. The stories that I hear from so many Chinese Americans that have escaped communism and come to this country in search of the American dream and have been welcomed and have, have fallen in love with this country and have been successful in opening up their own businesses and live the American dream themselves. They have the story to tell. And they are the ones that should be out there speaking on behalf of what it means to be a Republican and what we believe in as Republicans. So that is just an example of what I mean by the right messenger. Thank you for uh, uh, that. Buddy, do you want to jump in? Well, first of all, I want to concede the point to Julianne. There's no question that the Trump people are far more enthusiastic and rabid about Trump than we Democrats are about Joe Biden. We think he's a good man. We think he's paid his dues, and we think he'll make an excellent president. But Julianne is right that the Trump people are more on fire for their nominee. However, the motivating factor among Democrats, as she suggests, and it is very, very strong, and that is anti-Trump. And I promise you that people will come out in a hailstorm to vote against something more than they will vote for something. And so if you, you combine the againers uh, on any issue, whether it's a school bond issue or whether it's a local tax increase, or anything else, the againers always come out. And I think that uh, we cannot underestimate the strength of the people of the anti-Trump movement as well as the pro-Trump movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill, if, if, if radio could have a footnote, we'd put one in right now saying, see Alan Abramowitz of Emory University on negative partisanship. Which which he which yeah. which he has yeah. document he has documented as kind of the driving force of this political era, where where you are not where you you don't get your you don't you don't identify uh, by whom you're for but by whom you're against, and 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 I'll I'll take a little bit of issue with with Julianne in and that is and that is if you're if you're building a convention uh, on uh, on oh let's stop socialism and and let's stop let's stop the the the, the uh, the, the violence in cities in, in, in essence that is a, that is a negative campaign 
you are you are you are you are running on 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 the concept of fear of the other 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 side here. So uh, I think I think this is all, I think Buddy's right. I think this is this, both sides are 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 ginning up the negatives on this. Hey, I, I look. I, I I agree with you, Jim. But I think that it, it's a balance. I think you have to t- t- tell stories about the positives uh, as well as highlight uh, the negatives. But you know, at the end of the day, the base of both parties is they're going to be fired up. The Democrats are anti-Trump. The Republicans are you know anti-socialism, anti-Biden. Uh, they're going to be fi- fired up. What you need to appeal to is the middle. And 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 those voters and the one thing that uh, those independent voters, they they are anti uh, uh, Washington, anti establishment. They think they don't like the partisanship. They don't like government. I thought it was interesting in the policy statement that the Trump campaign issued. One of the things he says he's going to advocate for his second term is term limits Uh, that that polls across the board higher than almost any other issue. People in both parties, they want to see change uh, in leadership because they think government uh, is broken. And so I think Trump has a better argument to be the anti-Washington, anti-establishment candidate over Joe Biden, who's been around for 40-plus years. Jim, give a quick uh, response before we take our okay. break. One, one test of, of enthusiasm we're going to see fairly early is, is, is the message on the Democratic side but by virtually every speaker was get your absentee ballot and mail it in and do it now. Uh, I, I'm going to be interested in seeing how, how Republicans deal with that particular issue because that's, that's, that's when we're going to see the, the uh, a measure of intensity because we'll be able to tell who, who casts a ballot and who's Republican and who's Democrat. Okay, i got to get to a break. We'll take it and come back with just a few more minutes to wrap things up on Political Rewind. Buddy Darden, we're going to have appearances on this first night of the Republican National Convention from two people who arguably could be the biggest lightning rods for controversy of everyone on the program, Patricia and Mark McCloskey, the St. Louis couple who, when a Black Lives Matter demonstration uh, came marching through their subdivision, people have all seen the video, came out. Uh, in one case, brandishing a semi-automatic weapon, um, uh, Mr. McCloskey with, I think, a pistol in her hand. They've been charged with a felony. The charges are incredibly controversial. I get that. Nevertheless, why the heck, if you're planning this convention, do you want to gin up that controversy, buddy? I was uh, mystified by the same thing. However, I think... um the president is calling the shots here, and the president has come out, as you know, very, very strongly in their favor and has called on the uh, DA to drop the charges and, and uh, commented on it. And I think, I think this is a personal, I think this is a personal directive of, uh, of President Trump. And if he says that they're on the convention, I think it's, I think personally, I think it's bad policy. I don't think they need to do that because they already have the strong gun vote anyway in the Republic. You can't out, out, uh, outdo the Republicans when it comes to the uh, Second Amendment. And if you're so uh, yeah, that's, he, on that, 
they've already got those people. I just think that I, I think it's ill-advised, but I think this is something that the president uh, feels so strongly about that that's what they're going to do. Eric, they never would have been on a Mitt Romney convention schedule. Look, I think Buddy is probably right on this one. I think this is something the president believes in his instincts, and I think that he feels like you know these speakers are going to appeal to some in his base and some that he's trying to attract to. So, Jim Galloway, with uh, we've only got a couple minutes, and I want to get you and Julianne in on, on this part of the conversation, too. Uh, so another controversial figure, not to America, but right here in Metro Atlanta particularly, who's going to speak tonight, we've mentioned it before, Vernon Jones, Jones former Democratic CEO of DeKalb County, former state legislator, a Democrat to this day, but a Democrat for Donald Trump. Jim, what do you think? Well, what you have to remember is is that Vernon Vernon Jones was once the 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 most hated Democrat in all of DeKalb County. He was, I mean, I I I, I mean, I, I mean, uh, the, the the DeKalb GOP put almost put wanted posters out on him, uh, and and just to see how 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 that has flipped. That 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 with his endorsement of uh, of Trump, which by the way follows an endorsement of George W. Bush, and I think in two thousand four. Uh, uh, yes. has, has 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 made him part of the GOP club now, uh, and I'll be very interested in, in hearing what he has to say. The things to remember is number one, he he is he is he is uh, presumably very disliked in his district. Has decided not to run for re-election, uh, and but 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 withdrew a, a an immediate resignation from the legislature, and now you know why. Because as long as he's got state rep in front of his name, he's he's much more valuable to Donald Trump. And yet, Julianne, like a Tim Scott of South Carolina, uh, Vernon Jones, an African-American who will get up and on the convention uh, stage, uh, virtual stage, uh, speak to the fact that black Americans can support Donald Trump. Julianne? Um, well, first of all, I, I would draw a big contrast between Vernon Jones and Senator Tim Scott. Um, I think that their message <laughs> is— Given. You're right. <laughs> I, <laughs> point I well taken. <laughs> and I think that their messages are going to be very different as well. Um, I, Vernon Jones has recently become uh, you know, a rock star among a lot of Republicans as per his relationship with the president. Um, but I would say— over the next several weeks, you can probably look for the Democrats to saturate the news with oppositional research um, on Vernon Jones. I mean, I've already started to see some of that. Um, but, you know, he does have a, a strong voice with with some. Um, and he he definitely has a, a loyal following of many of his close political confidants that he's had over the years. But with regard to Tim Scott, he's going to have a, a very very different message when he speaks, and it's going to be a very positive one, an upbeat one. And I think that uh, Senator Scott definitely has a very bright future for even higher office um, in the Republican Party. I really like him. Eric, um, the question becomes, um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say with regards to Vernon, or as I know him, Mr. CEO, he, he, uh, he, he, this is not something that's new for Vernon. Uh, I think Jim may have mentioned that he endorsed George W. Bush. I, I've been talking, Vernon's been talking with me about his, how uncomfortable 
he's been in his party going back to 2000 when George W. Bush first ran. And, and I think that Trump is President Trump is the, 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 the person that's maybe allowing him to finally, uh, you know, come to terms with how he feels inside. And I'm going to be very interested in hearing what he has to say. I think it's going to be fascinating. I wish we could tell our listeners exactly when we expect him to speak. But these are the kinds of things that, at least for right now, the Republicans are keeping under wraps. All right, Julianne, we're really running out of time. But your husband, a national committeeman and a member of the Georgia delegation, come on, give us the secret. Who is going to uh, will it be Governor Kemp who announces the Georgia vote for Donald Trump in the roll call this morning? It'll just have to be a surprise. Come on, Julianne. No, no, no. It'll have to be a surprise. <laughs> well, I could only assume, Eric, that it's going to be the governor of the state of Georgia, the Republican governor of the state. Yes. Or will it be a Kelly Leffler, Eric Tandemblatt? Or no, you can't do that because then what does Doug Collins do? I guess we'll just all have to w- wait and see. <laughs> it won't right. be me and it won't be Julianne. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Uh, Eric Tannenblatt, Julianne Thompson, Buddy Darden, Jim Galloway. It's really been a pleasure to uh, have you on our first show of uh, this week's Republican National Convention. Um, We'll be talking about the convention throughout the week. As I said, we're going to have a mixture of Republican and Democratic panelists who will uh, be with us to discuss the convention. Uh, And in fact, tomorrow, former Congressman Lynn Westmoreland will uh, be on the show with us. And uh, so will uh, State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver and other panelists to talk about what's going to be happening there tomorrow night. Uh, It's also Jim Galloway, as we finish, going to be interesting to see, since we know President Trump's going to have a part in every day of the convention, just what he'll be doing tonight. We know he's on his way right now to Charlotte, where he will accept uh, the nomination in an informal way when the roll call is completed. Jim? It's not what he. It's it's not where he shows up. It's what he says. That's what's yeah. that's that's what <laughs> you have right. to keep an eye on. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for being with us uh, today, Sam Burmis Dawes. Thank you for your work, Amelia Brock. Again, welcome to the show, engineer Jesse Neiswanger, the composer of our special convention music. Thank you for both your work on our audio board and that great convention theme that you wrote for us. Why don't we listen to a little bit as we leave you uh, today? I'm Bill Nygut, back with you again tomorrow. In the meantime, take care and please stay healthy. information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. 
NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.